Being famous, it's like living life under a lens. And if you wear daily disposable contact lenses, you can get VIP treatment with Superdrug's new online contact lens service. With top brands available, you can order your next supply whilst topping up on all your usual Superdrug favorites and collect in store. Change the way you see yourself. Visit superdrug.com forward slash contact dash lenses today. Over 16s only must have been fitted with contact lenses by an optician and have a valid in-date lens prescription for the contact lenses being ordered online only. Hello. This is it. Welcome to the very first episode. We're doing this. This is the beauty of it all. We are, I think the best way of putting it is we're the beauty obsessed big sister that you've always wanted. And I'm excited we get to do this now. Uh, this is hosted by me, Vic Hope, with Superdrug. And we're taking a backstage look at the beauty industry, the issues facing it, and all the new news that you've been craving. Plus, I have a whole host of celebrity guests and industry experts for you. Now today, we're speaking to Megan Budden Hansen and Honey Lancaster James and asking, does fame change how you see yourself? Now, Megan, you are the perfect person to discuss this with <laughs> because you've been catapulted to fame and look at the last year or so of your career, so much has happened. Yeah. I mean, just, just really quickly to, to kick us off, how does it feel having that ascension, that rise so quickly? It is mad. I honestly thought I'd go into the villa, I'd be there for a week. My life wouldn't change. Maybe we'd get a few more Instagram followers. Just a or, couple. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I'd be there till the end. Like, it was mad. But I was, I feel like it really helped coming out with someone because when I was nervous, I could sense like my ex was nervous and yeah. I was like, we're in it together kind of thing. So it was, it did help, I think, having someone, you're both going from nothing and no one knowing you to walk into your supermarket. Everyone's like, oh my God, Meg, Meg. Yeah, because you're a household name as soon as you come out of that. I've got to say, in case anyone was living under a rock, the villa that Megan's talking about is the Love Island villa because she was on Love Island oh, like a year ago now. It's yeah. mad how quickly that time's gone. It has gone so, so quickly. And this is something, honey, that you are so well-placed to be able to talk to us about because you're a TV and media psychologist. You've worked on so many shows. Do you want to take us through a little bit of what your job entails and, and how it you know relates to fame and how it changes people. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so one of the things that I do is I work on reality shows that involve um, participants, um, such as yourself, Megan. Um, so I, I worked on actually one of the earliest seasons of Love Island uh, as a resident psychologist right, on there. Okay. And I've, I've worked on a number of other reality shows as well um, in a kind of supportive role and also doing the kind of pre-screening assessments mm -hmm. that most shows nowadays will make sure that people do before they do get catapulted to fame. So it's something that I've seen time and time again people go through the reality TV experience and come out the other end being very well known for a time yeah. and then obviously quite often what can happen is that that notoriety can sort of wane once another year group come in or there's another show, there's always another big thing. Yeah. Um, so I've seen the kind of both ends of that, both both achieving overnight um, fame and also losing it again. Well, Megan, you must have known that you were going to come out of it famous. Did you have expectations? I mean, you said, oh, maybe a couple more Twitter followers, but you you know the Love Island effect, more or less. Did, did, mm. did you have expectations of what it would be? Not not to that extent. So I never watched a series of Love Island before. I caught parts of the previous year and I knew it was really big. Obviously, yeah. everyone from that show was huge. But like I said, I thought I'd be in there for a week and I'd be in and out because I'm not really the most loudest person in your face, but I thought I'd be in there for a week and it'll come out and yeah, it'll be a bit of an experience and I'll get a few more followers, but I didn't expect the level that it was. And I think last year was so successful, I never thought this year would outdo that. Yeah. And it just went up and up and up, like the ratings and everything. So it was mad. Megan, now that you're in the public eye, do you feel that you're paying extra attention to your skincare, your makeup, your hair? I mean, you've got the tools now to do whatever you want. Yeah, I'm very like one extreme or the other. I'll either go out like completely bare face, nothing, or if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. And I'm, I've never been like super girly, but I've mm -hmm. learned since being in the villa doing my makeup every night. I always put on eyelashes when I go out. Yeah. So yeah, I've learned to be a little MUA. <laughs> yeah, thing is, right, the, the, the internet has changed everything. When I was younger, there was no way of knowing how to do a contour or put a lash on. And now we have all these resources to do 
some great makeup, also some extreme makeup. <laughs> do, I mean, do you think it's a good thing that, that we can do this now? Yeah, it's amazing. But I literally look at like 13, 15 year olds and they're like, when I was 15, I had blue mascara yeah. and glitter eyeshadow on. Me too. And <laughs> oh my gosh, so me perfect. too. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was thinking. I used to put blue mascara on my lashes and also in my hair. Did you ever do that? Like hair mascara? Yeah, hair mascara. What were we thinking? Oh, I tried that one. Oh my gosh, honey. It was, it, I mean, it also didn't really stick to your hair that well. So you'd sit down and it would be on the seat behind you. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, grew, I grew up in the 80s. So I, and I'm even messed out on blue mascara in the hair. <laughs> but the, the, the role of... People coming out of reality shows and especially Love Island is that all of a sudden they become sort of makeup inspirations, influencers. Like people look to you for their tips, for their techniques. Is this is this like a whole other career that opens up from going on a show like that and from getting that fame? Yeah, and I think there is pressure because all these pictures that the paps take, they're so zoomed in on your face you can't afford to have a makeup disaster so you've either got to be good yourself or employ someone to be amazing at doing your face for you there's no forgiving in those cameras and people like you say that everyone's like looking for you for makeup inspiration so God forbid anything went wrong. <laughs> went wrong. Were you good at makeup before you went in the villa? No, that's no. what I'm saying. I just went super 80s. When I worked in the strip club, like, men don't care. So I just had, like, <laughs> loads of smoky eyes, loads of eyelashes, and it was fine in the dark. It's half dark anyway. But to come out now, I'm like, oh, my God. But I learned a lot by living with the girls in the villa. We're all sitting there doing our makeup together. I did learn a lot. It was really yeah, good. Also, loads of the people in the villa were makeup artists, so they're, like, genuinely good tutors. Yeah, that helped a lot. People like Kaz and Alex. And do you... I mean, I get this thing where I worry if I do a look that's too out there. Because I'm actually really... I like to be creative with style and with makeup and hair. But then, as soon as you think that there are eyes on you, maybe there's going to be paps in an event, maybe people are going to take pictures, I don't have the confidence necessarily to carry it off in the public domain. So I'm more likely to be experimental with my makeup when it's just around friends and not when I go out. Do you feel like you've got the confidence to take that and not care what people say about your makeup look? Yeah. I think, like I said, I'm very stubborn and I think no one's going to love everything, so I'll just do it. (laughs) So in some ways, I guess, the fame means that you can do more because you've got the tools now and you're not afraid to show off. Yeah, and I can get someone to do my ma- who's willing to do my makeup who has like studied it and is a professional. Yeah. So I'm not, I give every makeup artist and hairstylist I'm like free reign, do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> you could have a bit of fun with it and start some crazy trend, you know, yeah. just cuz <laughs> Megan's put this crazy thing on her cheek yeah. suddenly everybody else is doing it and you could just do it for a laugh, you know, yeah. start something off. It's cool actually. I mean, given you're given like the opportunity to take risks risks and if you're happy to run with that oh boy you could like you could just keep <laughs> running but then by the same token I think probably other people come out of those shows and in some ways it makes them stick to a look more because they're worried that if they don't do that one thing that they've always done and that's made them famous people won't like them anymore yeah I remember girls in the villa were like oh I really want to do my change my hair but I can't I'm gonna have to stick for this look for a while I'm like why for who they're still gonna mm. notice you from Love Island whether you dye your hair brown or whatever so it is, I think there is a lot of pressure to like, if you've been commended for a certain look, to keep repeating and repeating and repeating that. Yeah, it's crazy that the way you look sort of defines you or is who you are. Mm. Whereas actually over the last, however long you're in there, 12 weeks, we get to know you for you. Like there is, <laughs> there is ample time for that. Yeah, and there's so many cameras. And that's another thing that was good about that show and I think about other reality like Big Brother and stuff. It's not all glamorous. It's not so staged. So people have seen me wake up with like one eye half open, like sleep in my eye. I can't look much worse than that. So they've seen the worst. So I think that's why there's not that much pressure. Now that's, that's my mantra of setting the bar <laughs> right down here and then you can only get better. <laughs> but also you can be comfortable. And I think that when you're in the public eye, like you, you can't look made up all the time so in some ways you you become an advocate for for comfort you've also got to look after yourself because it's a crazy world you go into in terms of skincare in terms of um i don't know whether whether it's moisturizing cleansing toning having facials or looking after your hair like do you feel like you're under more pressure now and that your skin is being put through it your hair's being put through it because you're doing all this stuff that 
that uses a lot of heat, a lot of product. Yeah, definitely. Like when I'll go on a shoot, they'll straighten it and they'll curl it. I'm like, oh my God, my poor hair. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, you really do have to look after it. And skin as well, like you're going out to these events and like I say, you'll have like an hour worth of makeup, someone putting makeup on your face. There is layers. Yeah. Like I haven't woke up like this, guys. It's <laughs> layers a lot. <laughs> There's layers. So I make sure that I always take it off. I tone, moisturize when I get back. Yeah. No, the lifestyle can really take its toll on you and I think looking after yourself is important right honey just on on so many levels whether it is your skincare whether it's drinking enough water getting enough sleep as well as physically you've got to you've got to care for yourself oh absolutely I think it's really important that we advocate self-care on on any on any level whether that's expressing who you are through the way that you look or whether that's just treating yourself kindly and like you say you know making sure you take all that stuff off when you've come back from a shoot or looking after your hair I think that's all a part of the nice side of of the beauty industry that actually also enables us to kind of engage in a little bit of self-care sometimes Mm. so I love nothing more than a nice you know a shower with my favorite scented products or whatever because that's my way of sort of just letting all the stresses and strains go but I'm not so much onto the makeup I tend to prefer to working radio because it means I don't have to worry (laughs) so much about that but um, maybe because I didn't grow up around people teaching me how to contour and things but yeah I do think it's it's an interesting thing that we're seeing nowadays with people kind of using um, beauty more as an art form yeah. really so that's what we're seeing isn't it people sort of changing the shape of them their face and all of that sort of thing with makeup it's clever I'm really in awe of how clever it is but I also hope that people also understand it's okay to sometimes just give yourself a nice cleanse and detox a little bit from that and maybe take the weekend off from, yeah. from worrying about what you look like and more about how you feel yeah I do Monday night bath I have a bath I put some salts in there I'll have a glass of red and a face pack and oh, I like to do one of those um, <laughs> face pack the clay ones that extract your, your impurities from your pores and then like a really moisturising one afterwards and that just sets you wake up nicely oh that sounds great yeah. that sounds like a good idea yeah. I might have to do you should this do Monday do Monday night, do, do Monday night bath yeah pamper days yeah honestly yeah. it's the way <laughs> how has fame changed you just you from your perspective I just think I haven't changed as a person, but you have to literally analyse everything. Like, you can't you can't just go to the shop and do a normal shop. You can't go for a night out and that's that. Like, everything will be documented. The hardest thing I found was, um, like, the paparazzi and every angle being scrutinised mm-hmm. by people. Even just, like, leaving my front door to go to the gym, there would be, like, countless pictures and people having their opinions and everyone says don't read the comments don't, but how can you not I'm a man? human how can you not? And yeah. when I leave and I'm like I know in myself that was a really bad angle that's a really bad picture I do go on the comments and I'm like oh my god like it's hard like general mm. things you take for granted and I am so lucky to be given that platform and I'm I wouldn't change it for the world but at the same time I don't think people realize the pressure just to do everyday activities. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do it's you, a lot. Do you care what people think of you? So when you look at comments, so you, do you care if someone, you know, scrutinises the way you look or they have a, something to say about what you're like as a person? Because they don't know you. In all honesty, when I came out, I was on such a high, and you've probably heard this before, like I was in this amazing place and there was no stress, there was no bills to pay. Everything was done for you and I just fell in love and it was like the whole honeymoon period. So when I first come out, I didn't care what anyone said about me. I was like, I'm in love, me and him are happy, like it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. That waned, like loads of things happened. We broke up and then we got burgled and this and you're like, oh, like I was alone and then I think then it got to me more. Like I felt weaker in myself and then... When I was struggling with that, I went and then I looked for the comments. I was like, no, people don't like me now. They took his side. So then I was looking for all this negative. So it is hard, I think. When I first come out, I was super happy, but I'm human. And when I'm down, I think that added pressure of everyone else's opinion doesn't help. Yeah, no matter how strong you are. And a lot of people will feel that they can say things to you because they think, oh, she's made it, she's fine. Like, it's not going to affect her. Her life is perfect anyway. Yeah, And yet what you're kind of talking about is like constantly searching for a validation, which means you do care what people think of you. Yeah, I think when I was super happy in myself, mm-hmm. I didn't care. I was like, right. right, I'm living my best life. I've come out of here. I feel the most confident, happy version of myself I've ever felt. Then when things started, like real life occurs, so I had to move into a flat, I had to pay my bills, I had to think about general things that normal people think yeah. about. 
then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not on this happy little bubble anymore. Now I've got real life things. And I think that's when it hit me. I was like, oh God, so now whatever I do, whatever career choice I make, how I pay my bills will be scrutinized. Whereas before, I was the most free spirit. I used to like... I used to dance and strip for money yeah. and I was no one knew me so I was like living my best life no one judged me now I've put myself on a place where everyone has something to say whether it's down to my hairstyle my next job that I take everyone's got an opinion on it yeah. so I don't think I was prepared for that well they'll see you as like a commodity for public consumption, you know? Like, they, they're like, this is Megan. Like, we saw her on this TV show that we watch because we want to en- enjoy it. Like, we mm. can think whatever we want, but a lot of people don't realise that it can hurt as well. Do you reckon that you prefer your life before, as you described it, or do you prefer it now? Recently, more so, I do think it would be good if no one knew who I was. <laughs> I don't. It's hard. I'm so grateful and I'm so lucky that I've been given this platform to speak out about things I care about, like, most of my energy I put into doing things for women, like charity, like I speak about mental health yeah. and I've done videos on my Instagram where I recently broke up and I was like crying in bed and I want girls to know that just because I've been on this like glamorous show, my life isn't just suddenly fixed just because i got blue tick next to my name. Mm. Like I'm still a normal person. I have ups, I have downs. And so I'm trying to just use this platform to show people that it doesn't fix everything, do you know what I mean, going on a reality show. That's something I've certainly heard time and time again from people who have become well-known sort of almost overnight, that initially it can be a really positive experience and many people say, this is a great time in my life and this is every dream come true. But then sort of as real life kicks back in and you've got to deal with all the same things that you had to deal with before such as I don't know going to the doctor or paying a bill (laughs) you know then you actually you're coming up to to do those things but people suddenly have an opinion about you or they're Mm. looking at you differently or they're treating you as if Mm. they've already know you somehow Um, and that's when people start to think actually this is a bit strange I wish I could turn this off and on you know it'd be nice maybe to be famous Monday to Friday (laughs) and get the weekends off that kind of experience yeah yeah. When you see pictures of yourself that have been taken at a time that you weren't switched on, as you say, honey, do, do you ever think, oh man, I, I'm going to have to wear makeup all the time now? Like, do, do you, Have you changed that side of your life? Do you, do you think you're putting more effort into how you look on a day-to-day basis? I think less, do you know? Really? Because I had, because I had so much scrutiny of how I looked when I was in the villa and because I had surgery and people are like, oh, this was her before, this is her after... And I had such negative backlash in there. I think even if I spend an hour putting makeup on... Oh, it's never going to be enough for them, is yeah, it? Yeah, there's always going to be some negative comments. So if anything, I go out to the nail shop and people ask for selfies and I have, like, no makeup on whatsoever. I'm like, <laughs> it's fine. You know what? It's 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 not for them, though, is it? It's for you and you want to be comfortable in a day to... I remember the first day I did breakfast radio and I decided to make myself look the worst I could possibly look because, <laughs> like, if I set the bar here, then people don't care... If I look good or bad, they don't, they just care if I look different. That's what they're going to pick up on. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can only go up from here because I look like... Yeah, Maybe I'm that's gonna... great <laughs> advice for anyone future who's going to go into sort of reality TV. Just say, go out and look your absolute yeah, worst because yeah. then the only way is up. Yeah. <laughs> but Megan, there must be pros as well as cons. I mean, mm. you said your platform. What do you say is the best thing that's happened to you since doing a reality show? I think being able to speak out about things I never had a voice for before. So for me, where I was in that industry of like dancing, all my friends done exactly the same and we like done webcams. So for me, that was normal. And then to hear how many people were like, oh my God, have you heard she done this? Like it's a negative thing. I want to use my platform to be like, if that's what you want to do, that's a mm-hmm. feminist too. So many people have been like, you can't be a feminist because A, you've had surgery and two, you worked in the sex industry. Both of them things, for me, are empowering. Yeah. Like, if you want to dye your hair pink, if you want to cover yourself in tattoos, whatever you want to do to make yourself feel beautiful for you, you do that. But they're your choices. Yeah, so I'm trying to really use my voice to be like, whatever you want to do, looks-wise, cosmetic surgery-wise, if you don't want to do anything, don't do that. If you want to dye your hair pink, that's fine. So I think just to show people that there is a different kind of feminist. You don't have to, like, not shave your armpits ever. You don't have to be the stereotypical feminist. Like, for me, working in the sex industry, it's the most empowered I've ever felt. My whole life, I was so shy and quiet at school. And then to go into this job where people, like, 
literally like not bow down to me but they would be like oh okay like they're paying to spend time with me even to like have a chat with me I'm like it's empowering if I've got this thing that they want and they're going to pay me how is that not a feminist it's not for them out it's for us really we're winning they're paying to spend time with us so to speak about that was it's it's I think really important that we have different faces of feminism and that people don't think that it's just this staunch like stereotype as you say of mm. you know not shaving your armpits so and in a way you know you've been called like a modern face of feminism and that's an amazing thing to do with your platform and I will admit one that not many people thought you would like having seen you on Love Island which brings me on to making a platform out of having been on a show like this is quite a new thing honey because mm. in the past shows like Big Brother um Way back when I was a little bit younger, and they they were first coming out. Some some Thanks, people you're making me feel no, old no, now because no. I worked on those I shows. Know. <laughs> I know, I, I, I know was, exactly what you I mean. was. A, I was a woman at that point. <laughs> but like, they some people would make a career out of it if they wanted. I guess the crucial difference is we didn't mm-hmm. have social media, so you weren't catapulted into the into the world as much. How have you seen? that trajectory change over the years? It has changed a lot, for sure. I mean, I I first started working um, in television, it would have been about 15, maybe 16 years ago. Um, So now I'm showing my age. (laughs) Um, But um, back then, you're right. So I I used to work on Big Brother. I worked on, you know, very early versions of Love Island, other other reality shows. And back then, it was very much about kind of, yes, improving your your platform, becoming better known. Often it would be people who, for example, had... experienced some level of fame before and they wanted to give it a bit of a boost again um, in order to get employed. But there was none of this kind of, oh, I'm going to create a platform uh, to share my voice. There was nothing there about social media. That was only just really coming in. And so what I've seen over the years has been a shift towards now, young people in particular now see this as it's sort of opened things up for them. And I think one of the things that we hear about a lot in the media is a negative narrative about social media. Uh, and that's right. We should address that for sure. You know, trolling uh, is totally unacceptable. I I campaign for much tighter restrictions on what people are allowed to get away with online because I don't think you should be allowed to do things online that you wouldn't be allowed to do in the street or to someone's face. What sort of things? Um, I think some of the terminology I think needs to change so for example if someone sends you a tweet or a private message that is deliberately intended to upset you that there's no there's no positive discussion there they're not opening up a debate they're sending you a message that is deliberately designed to really be upsetting and insulting now that's an aggressive act if you do something in real life where you do something deliberately if I did something to you deliberately to hurt you I stepped on your toe or I did something to wind you up you know I would be doing something aggressive and so to me, I think these things need proper accountability and you shouldn't be allowed to do things on the social media platform just because you're anonymous and get away with it. And yeah. I, I think that needs some real change there. I think it's so mad. Sometimes you get... Um, what you get, Megan, must be you know so much more. You've got like 1.8 million followers. You could get one tweet, you mm. know, like out of thousands in a day, you could get one that is negative yeah. or that is deliberately abusive and yes. it, it ruins your whole day. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not as strong a person as I, I would like to be when it comes to that and it hurts and sometimes you can find yourself really mulling it over mm-hmm. um, and I just think, why do you, why do you want to say that thing to that person? Especially if you've added them. It, it, you're trying to have a, an impact. Well, that's true but also something you said there that's quite key. You said, I'm not that strong a person to cope with that but actually that's not true. You are a very, very strong person if you're actually coping with that on a pretty much a daily basis probably in your line of work mm. and still getting up and still going to work and still carrying on because actually we're not designed to put up with somebody being abusive to us. You know, that's right. that's not that doesn't make you weak if that mm. makes you upset. In fact, if anything, that makes you healthy. A healthy individual responds emotionally to an attack from another human being. And so if you didn't respond, then I'd be saying there's something wrong with you. The, the problem here is that it, in in the sort of public sphere, I mean, even, even the work that I do, I occasionally get comments or I occasionally get something sent to me criticising something I've said on the radio or the TV. And it's very difficult to deal with because you're absolutely right. No matter how many positive comments you get, it's the ones that are hurtful that really leave their mark. Yeah. And I think we need to understand this better and start managing social media better um, when we're in that kind of 
field to stop us having to put up with that because no one should have to put up with that when we're just going about our work and our business. It feels like we can handle a lot more than we think, but that doesn't mean we should. No, it doesn't at all. Um, On the subject of social media, the effect that that has on you Mm. and on your mental health Mm. is is crazy, right? and I, I worry personally about um, our young girls. And you, you mentioned there, um, Megan, about trying to trying to let girls know that their feminism can take whatever form they want it to take. It's about being empowered. It's about being equal. Um, I worry about the effect it has on on how they feel they should look. And yeah. I want to talk about that because I didn't have social media growing up and I'm really glad because seeing now all these girls who look so perfect and whether that's because they've facetuned the hell out of it whether they've photoshopped it whether they've had surgery or not I don't know that I'm just seeing someone who looks that way and I'm like well I don't Mm -hmm. and I should do you feel like you've got a responsibility now that you've got this huge platform and so many young girls looking at you and that is the type of narrative that's happening yeah 100% I don't post often like compared to any other reality star like I barely post on my story I'm not one of these people that would like I'm not I wouldn't always post like if I do something I'm out with my friends and I enjoy that I'm not like looking for the best lighting and the angle do you know what I mean fun (laughs) yeah drink (laughs) but when I when I do take a picture and I like I don't know if I'm advertising a product or I'm out with my friends and I've had hair and makeup done so for me that's taken like three hours to have my hair and makeup done I feel beautiful and then when someone puts me down like says this this and this I just worry about the girls who look at that Mm -hmm. who can't afford the best celebrity hairstylist and the makeup and they're seeing people put me down they think oh my god if they're putting her down after you say the face tune in the hair and makeup how are they ever going to feel good about themselves that's why I was very open about my cosmetic surgery I mean it all happened when I was in the villa and I didn't really have a chance to defend myself or have my say, but I would never hide anything. I'd done it purely for me. I never set out to be a role model. But at the same time, why is it why is it shameful for women to have surgery? It's put in front of us. You'll see adverts and like certain companies be like, right, get your new boobs today, feel good today, you can get it on finance, you can do so it's all put in front of us um to have it. And then when you do have it, you're scrutinized. So I just think it is hard on social media. You can't win or lose. And I think that's why I do care less now because yeah. I feel that there's no winning. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, people are going to have an opinion. Yeah. You spoke about having had surgery um, and you seem so comfortable to be able to speak about it. It's not like it's a taboo or a secret. Mm. Um, did it make you happy? Did it, did it do what you wanted it to do? Yeah, so I had my first cosmetic procedures at 19. My mum had her boobs, like, after you've had them for a while, you need to get them replaced. So yeah. she had her boobs done, and I was like, oh, can I get mine done? But first, my main reason that I wanted to go was to get my nose done. And you know, like, kids are evil at school. They're, like, so yeah. nasty, oh, and I was, like, bullied a lot um, for my appearance and stuff. So I was like, it's not even for them, but it was for me. It was, like, consuming me. Like, I wake up in the morning to go... F- go to school when I'd tie my hair back and I'd just be like, oh, I can't take a picture from that angle. And this was all when, it was before social media, but like MSN and the video, the webcams. Oh so God, me and my... MSN! <laughs> you used to have a boyfriend in another school who you'd never even met and you used to go, remember you'd log in and out just to make sure they'd notice again yeah. that you were online. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, so we used to do that with my, my best friends and we used to like chat to other um, groups of girls and other boys and they'd always be like... Oh, I don't know. I just remember looking at myself in that webcam image back and I thought, oh my God, my nose. So it was more for me. Yeah. I, it, just, it was something that was consuming me daily and I wasn't happy. So I went to get that done. But in all honesty, at 19, I was naive and I thought, right, when I get my nose done, I'm going to be completely different. So I've always been a soup like introvert. I've been really quiet my whole life. So I thought, right, I'm going to get the perfect nose. I'm going to get bigger boobs. I'm going to come out. I'm going to be like Beyonce. It didn't happen. <laughs> only, Beyonce. Uh, I only Beyonce. I mean, I don't know anyone who's got the confidence of Beyonce, so I wouldn't worry about that. It's absolutely fine. But do you know what I mean? I thought having these procedures, I would come out and I would be confident. Yeah. That comes from within, and I've learned that I'm now 25, and I've done years and years of therapy and yoga, and I think with age, learning to love yourself, yeah. it does come, but... Never think, and that's my biggest message to girls, yeah, I may have spent money on surgery, I've got bigger boobs, I've got a slightly narrower nose, I've got this, I've got that. 
but it didn't change me how I felt about myself. If you're down, if you're insecure, if you have anxiety, the outside shell isn't going to change that. Yeah, I feel slightly better when I look in the mirror or when I take a picture of my friends, but I don't. it doesn't change who I am inside. And that's my biggest message to girls. I think that's why I was so open, open about it because there was such a negative backlash of me having surgery. And I think that's... That's awful. Like, say if a young girl is like working and working, she's like, right, as soon as I get enough money, I'm going to get this and this done. To see the negativity I've had on having surgery, she's then going to be like, right, it's a lose-lose. Like, do I keep the appearance that I don't like and that I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I feel like I don't, I'm not comfortable with that? Then if I get surgery, I'm going to be judged. I feel like people keep it such a secret. Yeah. It's people awful. People judge you no matter what. All right, honey, Megan, we're going to take a little break here, but stay right where you are because after the break, we'll be discussing life after Love Island and how fame has changed the way that you're dating. At Woo Woo, we don't beat around the bush. Woo Woo is a new wellness brand, less femme care and more femme fatale. And with Superdrug, we've a range of fun and natural beauty products designed to pamper, preen and protect your bits. Search woo-woo at superdrug.com and take care down there. Okay, it's the time of the podcast where I get to know our guest a little bit better. So, Megan, it's time for Spill the Beauty. See what I did there? Because it's like spill the tea. Oh, but yeah, I see. I go. see what you're doing. Be- 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 yeah, anyway. <laughs> anyway, just to get to know you a bit better. First of all, biggest ever beauty disaster. Oh, God. You've probably seen when I was on Love Island, I had a date on a boat and we must have been filming for like an hour. The whole foundation of my chin wore off due to sweat. <laughs> and people are like, oh, my God, she forgot the foundation had chin. No, I didn't, hun. I'd done it. I powdered it and it come off because I was sweating like a beast. <laughs> like, of, course, of course, I looked at what I was doing in the mirror before I left. It was a date, God's sake. Oh, my God. You know what? You don't think about how hot and sweaty it must be for you guys and you all look so flawless. In so your, many yeah. times. And I've got, I say, I've got the ginger gene from my dad. So my dad's got jet black hair, but he's got the ginger gene. He's given it to me half an hour in the sun and I'm like a strawberry. So it wasn't good doing them challenges in midday heat. Yeah, yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's really hot. You're running about usually. You always wear, I actually have to ask you about this. Why do you always wear trainers? Is it Was that health and safety like stipulation? Yeah, we had to wear right. trainers. Because you, know you know that bit where they always run as fast as possible to go to the challenge. You're all in trainers. I always think it's quite funny because you're in like lovely bikinis and then... I know. I feel like I need to invoice ITV for that because <laughs> the amount of times I was like, oh, run down to the challenge area. I was like, hon, I just paid three grand for these titties. They're going to be with my knees in a minute. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> great in slow-mo. Looked great. Welcome back to The Beauty of It All. I'm still joined by Megan Barton Hansen and Honey Lancaster. We're talking about fame and how it changes you, how it changes the perception that you have of yourself and that others have of you because you become famous. People that don't know you think that they do. I mean, does that bother you? I find it annoying. It doesn't, I don't lose sleep over it, but it's annoying. Like recently in the press, this is so funny. I was drunk and I was at um, Charlie Brake, also from Love yeah. Island. His cousin had a hamster. And in my drunken state, I saw this hamster. Oh, I've got my own hamster, Jon Snow. I saw this hamster and its cage was too small for my liking. And I was like, no, three boys looking after this hamster. I was like, you're not looking after it well enough. So I was drunk. I took the hamster ball, stole it, took it all the way back to Stratford. And then on the paper, they were saying, oh, she goes to any lengths to get press. Honestly, oh, I, I, it wasn't about the press. I didn't even know anyone was taking a picture. I just wanted this hamster to have a bigger cage and a nicer life. Oh my goodness, hamster gates. Yes, <laughs> well, anything but a gate. It needs a full-on cage. Um, that is an, it is annoying, isn't it? Because then people think they know you. They think that they know that you are an attention seeker or that you want yeah, press. Yeah, I think so much is set up. They're like, oh, she must have set this up. Trust me, if I could go out for a meal eat my body weight and food and have a few glasses of wine, the last thing I want is people to then take pictures of me post-meal. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, Megan, that it's sounds not... like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Meal and a glass of wine. Yes, please. <laughs> um, as well as your life and the way you look being plastered across the papers when you are catapulted into fame, so is your relationship, as you know. How has fame changed the way that you're dating? It has changed a lot. Yeah. Like before, I was very carefree. I've always been open. Like I enjoy sex. I'm very like free spirited. And I was like, 
if I get with someone and I want to sleep with them on that night, I'll do it. Now, I'm so cautious. I think since my ex, I've slept with one person and I've, I just worry like what their mm. intentions are. Will someone find out about this? Will they say, sell a story to the prayer? So they're doing it for the right reasons. So it's difficult. And I never even put that into perspective. When I was in the villa, obviously I fell in love and I thought that was going to last for however long. And then I didn't even weigh up that that wasn't even a thing of my, in my mind to be like, oh God, what am I going to do if this relationship doesn't work and I need to date again? Mm-hmm. It yeah. is hard. Do you think you've got trust issues in a way because of it if, you, if you're not sure if someone's got ulterior motives or you're disinclined to go out with people in case they do this they do that mm, definitely I wouldn't like I said before I was very carefree and if I was getting on with someone and we had a good chemistry and in the moment we felt like doing more now I'm very hesitant I'm like what are their intentions would they sell a story would they try and get pictures do you know what I mean yeah. or would I even sometimes I've gone to a club and like perhaps already been informed that I'm in there and they're waiting it's just like always this risk and you just can't relax it is hard your life isn't your own anymore yeah it's hard because someone will always have an opinion and if even if it was the most innocent like first date it's like Megan's linked with this person I've been in a club where I spoke to someone and it's come out in the press they're annoyed because they've got a girlfriend and we literally just had a conversation like we're having now five minutes and then someone sold that so it it is hard to trust and things get taken out of context Mm. and do you think that the fact that I mean you've said this before in Love Island you maybe painted as a bit of a player which in the end, you came out of it in a long relationship. You and know? can we just say, I was painted as a player because I was with Eyal and then Wes. Adam done the same, yeah, Wes done the same. exactly, it's not Nothing fair. Nothing gets questioned because they're Mal and yeah. they're set with two people on the show. But when I first come out, every interview, how do you feel? You slept with two men on national TV. Are you embarrassed? Do you regret that? How do your parents feel? Were the boys questioned like that? Yeah. No, just it doesn't because happen. I was a woman. Yeah, we, we, we get shamed <laughs> in a way that boys don't. It, at all it's it's incredibly unfair it's mm. it's you know it's un, unequal it's, it's not right um but do you think that then people have this conception of what you're going to be like and they're maybe they're more guarded against you because they don't want to go on a date with you because they they think they know what, what they're getting because they think they've seen it on tv or it's yeah. been painted in the press in a certain way i think a lot of men are scared of me do you think so <laughs> not scared but they're just like oh she's a man like I was portrayed as like a proper man eater and independent woman so think, none of these are bad things by the way no I know but it's like it's not if they knew the real me like I'm actually really like quiet and submissive in a lot of ways like not that you should be but I think in that show I was portrayed as this really like hard like I'm gonna go and get what I want and I wish I was more like that but the truth of it I'm not so I think people are really really surprised when they meet me they assume that I'm going to be really cocky and confident and yeah I'm not I think I'm really down to earth <laughs> I think I think dating post fame is something that people do need to think a bit more about I mean certainly on the shows that I work on when someone's going to go on a show I do try to sort of have a conversation with them beforehand and say look let's think about how different things are going to be for you when you come out and one of the things that people often struggle to kind of understand is going to be the impact on their life Mm. is about the normal things that you or I would do if media wasn't an issue. So you want a new boyfriend, you might go on Tinder or you might put a, you know, something on Match.com or whatever. And and the problem is once you're, in inverted commas, famous, Mm. that you can't really go about things the same way. And yet also if you go into a pub, um, you know, you might smile at someone or someone might smile at you, but you don't know whether they're smiling at you because they just think you're a nice person in the bar or whether they're seeing you as celebrity or someone Mm. off the TV. And so it can really interrupt the natural flow of human relationships. And that can be something to really sort of struggle to adjust to afterwards and it's one of the reasons that actually people who are famous and people who are in the media often go out with other people yeah. who are in the media because that happens that tends yeah. to be the way isn't it well because they get it yeah. and they understand it and they're also moving in the same sort of circles and and not treating each other the way that a fan treats a celebrity yeah. you know which can be actually for some people it can be really quite awkward and uncomfortable especially the first time when someone sort of comes up to you and treats you like a celebrity rather than a person, yeah, you know. Like you're different. And as you said before, you don't feel inside like you've changed as a person. No. Do you think, I mean, we've talked about your confidence and insecurities and anxieties. 
Do you think that you've become more confident since your, you know, your star has risen? I think I'm definitely stronger than I ever first yeah. anticipated or knew I could be or would be. I didn't think when I went on that show I would get that much backlash. I thought maybe for past career choices there'll be a little bit of negativity, but like I said, the way I look and surgery and all of that, it was a lot. So I think I'm much more stronger than I ever, ever thought I was. And even doing it like going through a public breakup, it's a lot. Everyone's got an opinion and it it is harder than I ever thought. But yeah, I'm sounding really negative, but it no, has but been it's really not, good. What, what, what would you, I mean, what would you say? We've said that the platform is a is a great thing that's come out of it. Actually, you know, like talking, this is not on the same level as what we've discussed when we're talking about surgery, but I used to straighten my hair right up until like a year and a half ago because growing up, this is the same as what you were saying when people would bully you for like, they said that I had this stupid frizzy hair and they didn't like the afro and I was so insecure about it and it was only about a year and a half ago I had the confidence to stop straightening it and have it curly and then the number of girls now who get in touch and say, oh, like I, I want to have my hair curly now. It's, you know, I can see that it's beautiful and it's to do with your heritage, it's to do with your culture, it's where you're from. I think having that, that impact not only is is great but also then the confidence in yourself to do it that comes through the negativity that you yeah. grow through so i guess there's a level of growth that goes with with fame yeah that's the main thing that um like i want to keep going for because a lot of the time when you do get this negativity i'm like right i just want to go away to a different country no one know who i am mm-hmm. and just like leave it all behind no instagram no nothing but it is the girls that are like I'm so glad you've been open. I'm a stripper and I've had so much ridicule in my area. I've had this, this and this. So to be able to be that voice for like that group of women and then about mental health, I just think that's what keeps me going and wants me to like continue my path in like the limelight and stuff like that, to be able to do those things. Yeah. You're representative. It's a level of representation and that's, that's what brings progress. That's what brings progress of, of attitudes because we are more shamed than men are and it's not it's not right Mm. and you're a brilliant voice for advocating women being who they are and being proud of that and being empowered and this is I think a a slightly newer thing when it comes to reality tv and fame because I don't really remember looking back at like past shows there necessarily being a platform for former contestants of reality tv shows or whatever but is that something that you'll talk about before contestants go in? Um, yes, well, it, it differs on different shows as to uh, how a show... So the way a show is often run is often run on a season-by-season basis mm-hmm. and the producers might be different. They might bring in different psychologists or psychological service providers. But when I work on a show, or my company, um, On Set Welfare, when we work on a show, one of the things we try to do as much as possible as part of the pre-assessment is to prepare people for what life is likely to be like post-show. Right. But it is very difficult because it's like many things in life. You know, you can try and prepare someone for parenthood and tell them, you know, you're going to hate the sleepless nights, you know, do all of these things. But people don't really know what the experience is like until they've come yeah. out the other side and experienced it. And so as much as we try to do that, we also have to to try and build in the fact that people aren't really going to know how they're going to cope with it until they're coping with it. And then it's about us trying to support them through that process and giving them as much tools or advice as we can um, and also pointing them in the direction of those people who can help them. But certainly one of the things that's very difficult is to prepare people for an experience that is unlike many experiences in life. Not many people are going to go through it. And so there's going to be, you know, you can't go to your local support group for celebrities or you know give it a few years I reckon there will be maybe there will maybe there will but but you know there aren't sort of you can't immediately go online and join a forum to talk to other people who are famous who are experiencing what you're experiencing because of the nature of being a public figure so there are relatively few corners you can turn to for support and say is this normal that what I'm feeling now is that I don't know I have to put makeup on to go and get milk or is this normal that I'm I don't really want to go to the doctor for my smear test because I know they're going to see me as that person off the TV. Literally, I went the other day, I moved to the new area, so I wasn't signed up to my local GP. So I had to go to like, I don't know what they're called, like a sex clinic to uh get my pill. 
I sat in the waiting room, that's Megan, that's Megan. Yeah. I was like, no, mum. I was oh, like, people no. are going to think I've got like some kind of STI oh, or STD. No. I like, yeah. literally, I was there for five minutes. I walked out. I was like, no, mum, I can't do it. I've heard a lot of people, because I work with quite a few people who are in the public eye as, a, as, a, as their private psychologists and coach. And one of the things I hear a lot is that actually they've put things off that they know they should deal with, like getting a smear, like, you know, doing yeah. all those embarrassing things that we have to do in life, yeah. <laughs> uh, going for your pill, whatever it is, because they're so worried that other people are watching them, observing them. They've got their mobile phones out. They're taking pictures of them with the, you know, clinic sign behind yeah. them or whatever. And it's very, very difficult for people. And I think one of the misperceptions that the public has about fame is that it's all rosy, it's all glamorous parties, it's all red carpet and lots of money and fancy handbags. And while sometimes there might be an element of that, that doesn't make up for all of the rest of your sort of life when it's actually really quite uncomfortable to have people come up to you in the street or bother you on the tube or whatever it is that that you find difficult. And I think we need to make sure that dialogue's kept open, that people understand that you're real people with real feelings, having real experience of life. And and just because you're in the public eye, you know, let's give people a bit of a break. And not if you're Mm. compromising your health like that. Unfortunately, it feels at the moment like that dialogue has opened because there have been some really awful incidents that have brought to the attention of people that it is not all, as you say, rosy Mm -hmm. when you go into these shows. And yet, I feel like the fame that comes so quickly from reality TV has become quite aspirational. Why do you think that so many people want to go on them? Why do you think so many kids are looking at these shows and going, that's what I want to do instead of, I don't know, I, I want to be a plumber, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer? Why, why this? Well, I think one thing is that just purely from a social psychological point of view, we tend to aspire to be what we see. And there's an old adage that you can't really be what you can't see, which is why it's important that we see a diverse range of people on our TVs, listen to them on the radio, see them on social media, because we want people to aspire to be all different types of people. And I think one of the things is that because young people today are often consuming media on social media, they are aspiring to be what they can see there, which are supposedly glamorous lifestyles of Instagrammers and celebrities and things like that. And of course, if you see that and then you see the plumber comes in or whatever and does the plumbing, it's it's about what looks attractive. But the reality sometimes of life is, is quite different. And there are people who will say, I used to really want this, uh, be in the public eye or whatever. And actually, I got a taste of it. Mm-hmm. And then I withdrew and realized that wasn't for me. And I've gone back to normal life. And mm-hmm. for some people, that's a learning curve for them. Uh, other people, I think we have to acknowledge the positive side of the fact that now as long as you've got a mobile phone you can pretty much develop a a career in your bedroom you know, that's opened things out and I think that's the positive side of social media, that now almost anybody if they want to create a platform and they have a message and they have something they want to promote they can do that but the downside is that of course we still want people to be aspiring to be doctors, lawyers, plumbers, you know waiters, whatever, we need the full spectrum of, of society. Once you do get famous from these shows, and it, as you say, it doesn't happen to everyone, um, and it's good for a bit, it then starts to dwindle because mm-hmm. we don't know what happens in the next step. It hasn't happened yet. We don't have focus groups for former reality stars. No. We're not quite there. It, it's, it's a fairly new thing being a former star of a show. Yes. What can someone do when their fame is starting to peter away. And Megan, is that something that worries you? Not for me. I think because I haven't made it a absolute priority. I was very fortunate with the jobs I'd done before to be earning good money very quickly. And it wasn't for me that I went on the show for this career and for to be this longevity and fame and for loads of money. So for me, I do things that make me want to get up in the morning. Right. Like So it wasn't a big deal. But of course it's going to run out. But I think you, you have things that you could use to maintain that. If I was more on my social media, if I had, do you know what I mean? You could yeah. prolong it. And if I you think, wanted. Yeah, and it's like what you're saying, if, as long as you have a passion on a mobile phone, if you're passionate about that and you post it, people will follow. So whether you've come from a reality show, whether you've done, gone to college and done, like you've never been on TV, if you're passionate about something, you can keep maintaining that. And I think people see the passion and follow yeah. on Instagram. Like social media has literally changed a lot. 
Yeah, but it's interesting that you say you should find your joy in the real life, what's happening mm-hmm. right now, because if you fixate too much on stuff that you have no control over, whether people are interested in you or whether you're getting hits on, on your video, then your happiness is not in your hands anymore. Mm-hmm. And it feels a lot like that's a risk that people take when they go onto these shows. They're putting their all of their happiness, all their eggs in this one basket. Can you warn them against that? Yes, and and, and I f- f- certainly do. Yeah. When I'm when I'm working on a show, um, one of the things that I look for actually when I'm doing the assessment process is what does this person's real life entail at the moment? Who are their support network? What are they? Um, what have they got to fall back on, if you like? And one of the red flags is if someone sort of says, you know, I'm giving up everything to go on this show, then it's a bit sort of, well, what happens when this is over? Um, and I think that's always the problematic thing. And, and and that's the time, I think, at the moment that we need to understand better and support people uh, through the after process. And and I think there has been a, there has been an improvement over the years that I've worked in this industry where now we do have a system where we recommend aftercare and, and you should be able to contact your production team and get access to sort of psychotherapeutic support. But often that tends to not be something that people reach out for, particularly in that honeymoon period that you described, Megan, you know, where sort of six months afterwards, everything's so busy, you're in such demand, you feel on top of the world, you're not going to need aftercare. (laughs) The the time, I think, when we need to support people better is almost a year, two years down the line when people are starting to have to integrate back into ordinary life. Mm. Um, The vast majority of them are. And that's when I think the adjustment process needs a little bit more thought and a bit more care and support. Yeah, because Megan, you said, you know, therapy has been so helpful. I can vouch for that. It's the best thing ever to be able to understand when you're having unhelpful thoughts Mm -hmm. and cycles of feelings and talking about what's going on in your life and in your head and knowing that it's normal to feel all these different ways. But there is a stigma attached to that. And I think often if you're in the public eye, maybe you're not in a position to to know that that stigma is rubbish. You know, mm. you, you do need to talk and maybe they don't know who to talk to. Yeah, I think that's one thing that, you know, that I often say the Americans get right. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, they they sort of have a much more open um, culture about sort of seeing a therapist. It's almost like seeing your personal trainer, really, yeah. you know. Um, and I would love to see us get more like that in this country. Yeah. Um, I've had years and years and years of psychotherapy and, and, and therapeutic support. We, we sort of have to in our line of work, but but thank goodness for it. I've been very fortunate. And what worries me is that people today still feel a sense of shame about needing that kind of support or that kind of input. But you wouldn't feel ashamed about going to your medical doctor. You wouldn't feel ashamed about going to see your personal trainer, about your physical fitness. So why feel ashamed about your mental yeah. fitness and your mental health? And I think it's hard when you come from a reality show because obviously not everyone gets picked and we've picked out of like thousands and thousands of people. So to be given that opportunity you almost feel like what have I got to be depressed about and a lot of people don't Mm. get that so that Mm. was my biggest thing to go back to therapy I thought like when I said I come out I was on top of the world all of this and then when I broke up with the guy I was with I recently got burgled all of this I was like I need to see someone and I did a part of me thought like but I'm so lucky I've been given this platform and I've done this show and I've got all these followers and I have the world in front of me, but Mm -hmm. none of that mattered because how I felt. So I went back to um, CBT, is it fair? That really helps me. That's brilliant. I guess when we're asking how fame changes how you see yourself, you're doing all the same things and yet you feel like you shouldn't be finding anything negative about them. You keep saying, I'm not trying to be negative, I'm not, but you're allowed to be yeah. because yeah. life isn't easy. Yeah. Megan, you're, you're, you're allowed to feel however you feel, but because of the position that you're in, you're almost like censoring yourself Yeah. because you've been told that I do you feel should a little be, bit guilty. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I should be Yeah, happier. yeah, you yeah. feel guilty <laughs> yeah. and you, don't, you, you, you shouldn't. You're human. We're all human and people forget that. Mm. Crucially, people really do. Um, but on that note and on the note of we need to find a new word for fame, I think we've got a word which is platform. So you've got platform to to say what you need to say and to express what you need to express and also to let young girls and I love that you do this letting young girls know that they should feel powerful and they should be equal and I'm so glad you're doing that and I'm also so glad you came on the podcast so thank you so much guys thank you thank you for listening as well and join us next Sunday when we'll be talking all things vegan beauty with Lucy Watson on the Beauty of It All podcast with Superdrug